Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Thursday, February the 1st. And welcome to our commentary. Welcome to the first day of February as we are counting down 2024. We're already one month down in 2024. I mean, it's hard to believe, but the, the election is going to be nine months from now. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. In nine months, <laughs> we're going to have another another election. And we'll, we'll talk a little, a little bit about the election in a few minutes. But I want to begin with something that President Biden continues to do. And this is not about politics, by the way. This is not a criticism about a, a policy or a decision that he made. This is about President Biden talking about his son, who was in the service and died uh, from cancer later. And every time he talks to the families of soldiers who have been killed in, in conflict, he brings up his son. The problem is that, I mean, I can certainly understand the emotions of a father and a son. I can certainly understand that. But he shouldn't be bringing up his son in the context of his son was in the military and he was killed because he wasn't. That's not how his son died. His son died of cancer after he had served in the military. Now, maybe he picked up the cancer in Iraq. I, I don't know. But he certainly was not killed in action uh, as uh, as these three people, three uh, uh, soldiers were killed in Jordan the other day. I mean, that was never the way it happened. But he keeps bringing this up, and it's got to be insulting, I would think, to the families of these soldiers. Uh, I mean, their, their soldiers, uh, their sons and daughters are coming back in a casket from having been killed in, in military action. And the president of the United States is talking about his son who died of cancer years after he served. Again, we're not taking anything away from his son. His son was, a, from everything I understand, was a good person. But he wasn't killed in action. And I just think there's a problem there with President Biden. And I he must be going off script when he says these things, it's hard for me to believe that the White House would put that on the script or whatever he's reading. No, that he goes off script when he says stuff like that. But I think it's pretty insulting to the families of, of, of uh, you know, families who've actually lost uh, a son or daughter in, in military conflict. So this hap happens all the time with this man. And you have to wonder what's going on. What is he thinking when he would say something something like this. Well, you're probably familiar with sanctuary cities. Well, apparently there's another sanctuary city that isn't too happy anymore about being a sanctuary city. And I'm talking about Denver in the state of Colorado. They have been flooded with, with uh, migrants to the point that uh, their social services are overwhelmed. Uh, their hospitals are overwhelmed. And the city is complaining, saying, we can't handle this anymore. We cannot do this anymore. And of course, we've heard this from Chicago, New York City, and uh, even even other places. The state of Arizona, the state of Massachusetts are both quite overwhelmed uh, with migrants. And Denver is facing the same problem. Now, what's interesting to me, uh, I recall the whole debate about sanctuary city here in Texas. And, you know, the Governor Abbott back in 2017 signed a sanctuary city law that basically says we will not allow sanctuary cities in Texas. Now, 
When Governor Abbott signed that law, it had more to do with uh, law enforcement. In other words, people hiding in sanctuary cities and protecting themselves from the police or from law enforcement. And Governor Abbott said, no, that's not going to happen in Texas. So sanctuary cities are illegal in Texas. But, of course, he was criticized. He was called all kinds of names for having, you know, for not allowing sanctuary cities. And many of the critics came from some of the cities who are now screaming that they have too many migrants. So it's interesting how this has completely turned around now that they actually have migrants who are showing up in their cities. And look, they're, they're going crazy over 20, 30,000 people. Think about these cities in Texas or in Arizona who are being overwhelmed by lots and lots of of people. I mean, it's just crazy. But look, they they did it to themselves. They're the ones who invited these migrants by calling themselves sanctuary cities. By the way, speaking of of migrants, uh, if you didn't watch my my interview yesterday with George Rodriguez, I would recommend that you do so. It's it's the video before this one. And in that interview, George mentioned something something very interesting. He says that many of the people or the migrants who are going to Arizona are people who are coming from lots and lots of different countries, that the ones basically coming to Texas are primarily coming from, from, let's say, Mexico or the Caribbean or from Central America. But the ones who are going to Arizona apparently are coming from other countries, from a much larger variety of countries. I didn't know that. And I thought it was a very interesting point because Arizona right now, they're overwhelmed just as much as, as everybody else is. But sanctuary cities used to be very popular in the Democrat Party, and all of a sudden, they're not very popular. And that's because they're finally being forced to deal with the cost of uh, sanctuary sanctuary cities. I have a post over at the American Thinker on Thursday morning where I'm talking about donations to Harvard. You may have heard that several of these, uh, I guess, uh, very successful and very wealthy alumni are cutting back some of their donations. Well, the latest one a fellow by the name of Mr. Griffin has decided that he's not going to send any more money until they change their culture in Harvard. And he was talking about many of the students and what they're being taught and the messages that they're being taught, not just anti-Semitism, but a lot of things about American history and how they're basically being taught. You know, they're basically, the history that they're being taught is a very simplistic history in which you have oppressors and victims. And the oppressors are always white men. The victims are everybody else. And this is the history they're being taught. And of course, it's a great disservice, not only to the truth about history, but it's a great disservice to these students who are going to come out of these colleges not knowing how fortunate they are to have to live in the United States and to have grown up in Western culture. I mean, look, Western, Western culture is the most liberal and the most tolerant of all the cultures around the world, but that's not what they're teaching them in school. What they're teaching them in school is that Western culture is the source of all the world's problems. Well, Mr. Griffin has had enough of this, and he writes some pretty big checks uh, to the school, and he's decided he's not sending any more money, and I'm glad to see that. He's not the only one, by the way. Others have, have done the same thing, and my guess is that there will be more, more people, and I'm glad to see this. I'm glad to see this. I think many of these uh, so-called elite universities need to be taught a lesson. They, they've gone too woke. They have simply gone too too much in the direction of woke. 
And I think they're actually hurting the students by giving them such a woke view of, uh, of history and such a woke education that is not really preparing them for the reality of a very, very competitive world that lies out there uh, for them when they get out of get out of school. So my compliments to Mr. Griffin uh, for holding back his donations. And you can check my article over at the American Thinker, uh, the Thursday morning edition over at the American Thinker. Well, if we're now looking at uh, more and more polling data that, uh, again, supports the idea that President Trump would defeat uh, President Biden if the election were held uh, today. Now, I always caution people about these polls. Do not look at one, because one poll doesn't mean anything. You have to look at the tendency of polls. And one of the beauties of real clear politics is that they have them all. I mean, they list them all. So you, you can look at the last 10 to 15 to 20 polls, even going back six months. And you, you can see that there's a clear movement in the direction of Trump in the popular vote. And that's all they can measure is the popular vote. But clearly, uh, you know, a, a at the moment, President Trump would win, you know, if the election were held today, that he would win the popular vote by two or three points. But if you look at... Uh, at the so-called swing states, which is where the election is going to be decided. In other words, the election is not going to be decided in Texas or Florida or California or New York or Illinois. Those states, we know how they're going to go. The election is going to be decided in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada. Uh, maybe there's another one there that I missed. Oh, Georgia, Georgia. The, the states that were really close the last time, those are the ones that are actually going to decide the election. And the more you look at the swing states, the more you look at the swing states, the more that the 2024 election could look like the 2016 election when President Trump, then candidate Trump, won the presidency with like 306 electoral votes. And that's what it's looking more and more like what 2024 could be like. And again, I always emphasize that polls are just a shot in time. I mean, you, you don't want to get too invested in these polls. You want to make sure you get out and vote. There's a lot of things up in the air uh, that we have to look into. First of all, I'm not sure Joe Biden is going to be the man that President Trump is going to be running against. I, I just don't see that happening. I think President Biden will give away to somebody else at the convention, whoever it is. I don't believe it's going to be President uh Biden, neither is it going to be Vice President Harris. So I think those two are out of the picture. But clearly, at the moment, President Trump is leading. Now, other factors are still up in the air. Who is going to be the VP and all of that? We're going to try to do a, a podcast with my friend uh, Barry Castleman and get his thoughts on who could be a good candidate for uh, for Vice for President Trump for Vice President. So I've got a couple of ideas, and uh, and you know we'll we'll try to get into in more detail of that. In an upcoming show. But if you look right now at the polling data right now and the tendency over the last three or four months, there's no question that President Trump would defeat President Biden if the election were held today. So we'll see where all of this looks uh, in a few uh, in a few months. On this day in history, quick uh, baseball story. Paul Blair was born on this day in 1944. He passed away in 2013. Paul Blair was the center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles, and I kind of grew up watching him. He was an absolutely fabulous center fielder, one of the very best uh, 
center fielders ever to play the game. He had eight gold, gold, eight gold gloves. He was just, uh, I mean, he was great out there in center field. And he almost like spoiled you because he made playing center field so easy that you thought every other center fielder should play like that. But no, when you had a, when you watched Paul Blair as, as much as I did, and then after he retired, you know, I got to see others. I mean, you could tell, you can just tell the difference, how great he was, how much, you know, of the field he would cover and how many hits he would take away from, from the other team. So we remember Paul Blair, who was born on this day in 1944, passed away in 2013, just a absolutely great uh, player, great memory of the years that, you know, we all have great memories watching baseball over the years. And Paul Blair is one of my, uh, one of my great memories. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.